legislative ethics tends to get ignored, maybe even taken for granted, until that is, a lawmaker gets caught doing something that makes headlines for all the wrong reasons. Then amid cries of righteous indignation, there's usually a mad scramble to rectify the problem, often by tightening disclosure requirements. After that, though, the issue usually recedes into the shadows until the process repeats itself, as it always does, or at least as it always has. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll look at the current push to overhaul the state's legislative ethics code and how it compares with earlier good government reforms. Here's some background from Andy Tenbarge of thestatehousefile.com. Lawmakers are trying to convince the public that they're serious about ethics reform. The House passed a bill that requires lawmakers to share more about their personal finances and tightens restrictions on elected officials using state resources for politics. We, we hit, I think, the right language on the big issues that we were concerned about, increasing transparency, uh, increasing disclosure for legislators, and restoring public trust or bolstering public trust. The bill comes a year after ethics issues emerged involving former Representative Eric Turner and former State Superintendent Tony Bennett. just became obvious that it was time uh, to reform the ethics laws and bring them up to date. Turner resigned after he was accused of privately backing a bill that financially benefited him and his family. Members of an ethics panel found he didn't break any rules or laws, but they said that those laws should be strengthened. Bennett was in a similar situation when he was accused of using state staff and resources to run for re-election. Senate pro tem David Long says the incidents were a cause for action. I don't think any wrongdoing occurred, actual wrongdoing. I think it uh, made us all pause and wonder if we couldn't, uh, didn't have to revisit our ethics rules and strengthen them where necessary. The House bill now moves to the Senate where Long says the Rules Committee will give the issue a thorough hearing. We've got a process to go through, but we will be uh, uh, definitely supporting the concept, uh, if not changing it slightly, uh, if we feel necessary. But Vaughn says she will be pushing for more enforcement of the rules. I mean, this thing is on a fast track, uh, so it's going to be difficult. But we're certainly going to make the argument in the Senate that you can't do just the disclosure piece and not deal with enforcement. No hearing has been scheduled on the bill. For Indiana Lawmakers and the StatehouseFile.com, I'm Andy Tenbarge. Thanks, Andy. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researcher Phil Owens is creating new ways to map soil functions, improve plant growth, and increase crop yields, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Let's start with the good news. Since the top two leaders of the Indiana Senate went to prison for violating the public's trust more than 30 years ago, Hoosier lawmakers have been, as far as we know, pretty well behaved, especially compared to many of their counterparts across the country. Elsewhere, federal investigations bearing monikers such as Operation Bop Trot, Operation Lost Trust, and Operation Tennessee Waltz have put scores of state legislators behind bars. Just last month, the longtime Speaker of the New York State Assembly resigned after being arrested on federal, federal charges that he accepted nearly $4 million in bribes and kickbacks. 
Despite the relative calm of the Indiana State House, however, the General Assembly is not immune to questionable conduct and conflict of interest allegations, as underscored by last year's House investigation into then-Representative Eric Turner's effort to block legislation that would have harmed his family's business interests. Here to discuss the need for additional safeguards are Republican Senator Ed Charbonneau of Valparaiso, a former member of the State Ethics Commission, a current member of the Indiana Attorney General's Public Integrity Coalition, and the author this session of three bills intended to strengthen government ethics. Beverly Gard of Greenfield, who represented East Central Indiana in the State Senate for 24 years before retiring after the 2012 session. Julia Vaughn, Policy Director for Common Cause Indiana, a watchdog organization with which she's been affiliated since 1995. And Indianapolis Attorney Murray Clark, who chaired the Senate Ethics Committee during part of his 11-year tenure in that chamber. He went on to chair the Indiana Republican Party, and he's now a registered lobbyist. Thank you all for being here. I am uh, looking forward to this discussion. So many different perspectives at, at this, uh, at this uh, table. Let me start with you, Senator. Uh, you've worn many hats, and in one of those yeah. hats you wrote a report uh, on, on corruption, and it started this way. Public corruption is a plague that infects all that it touches. Elaborate. I mean, that's, that's pretty eye-catching, uh, attention-grabbing start to a report. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it, uh, it, it, you know, Public perception um, is just key to whatever level of government that uh, that we're in, and once the uh, the, the public loses the trust of uh, of, of their uh, elected officials, um, the the tentacles go just go all over the place, and uh, we we have a hard time um, really recouping uh, that trust in in in, in public government. And where do you think the perception is now versus reality? And I should say, I talked about different perspectives. We have uh, one member of the panel here who went from being a legislator to being a lobbyist. You're one of the few people who went from being a lobbyist for U.S. Steel Corporation to being yeah, a legislator. Yeah. So you've well, seen it all. One of those I mean, folks that went through the, re the revolving door the wrong way, I think. <laughs> is uh, the reputation or, for, you know, they're all crooks, uh, is that deserved or warranted? It, it's, it's not deserved. It's, uh, it, but the perception is out there, and that's one of the things that, that we always need to be dealing with is, is making sure that, uh, the, that the Hoosiers, the voters, um, believe that uh, that we're, we're ethical and, and that the, the, the touchstone is that no one should be in, a, in public office for personal gain. And once people start thinking that that's what's going on, uh, it becomes pervasive and it affects everybody. And it, it's, it's a serious problem. Bev Gard, 24 years, I mentioned you were in the Senate. <laughs> The uh, trajectory of perception versus uh, the problem, uh, the reality of the problem, was it, did things get better during that time or did you see lingering problems or perhaps did it worsen? I think there is more scrutiny now, actually, than there was when I came in. I came in in 1988 and, and actually I came into the legislature as a result of corruption that happened way back in the late the, the, seven. The, the two I mentioned, that's, uh, the two that's former That's correct. Uh, I, I have leaders. the seat that, that one of those individuals had. But during my years, I think more and more scrutiny I've seen. I, I think that's a result of, of a lot of things. Uh, it's, it's easier to communicate now with, with electronics and the way we communicate. The media... Uh, 
really looks for this. And certainly Julia's organization has been very, very active in, in looking for corruption and, and even the perception of, of wrongdoing and um, conflicts of interest. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to her perspective because mm -hmm. she, I know, has some, some strong thoughts. Mm -hmm. but, but let's stick with the uh, folks who are either in the Senate mm -hmm. or have been in the Senate. Mary Clark, your take. Mm -hmm. Are things good, things bad? Well, I agree with, with Bev. I mean, I think there's more scrutiny today for a lot of reasons. I mean, generally, you can't, there isn't mm -hmm. much you can do today without mm -hmm. people noticing or, or talking about it. When I served uh, with Beverly in the Senate, I think there was a culture of, of uh, you know, appropriate conduct, and I hear the terms corruption. I never saw much corruption. I suspect there isn't corruption. The question of inappropriate behavior, I think, has come to rise, and rightfully so. You know, I think, I think that as I look at it, uh, certainly from the Senate side, I would say the whole General Assembly, that, you know, that we, there is a self-policing uh, mentality there, and it's not all altruistic. I, I would argue that inappropriate behavior is bad politics, too. And from a practical standpoint, um, uh, you know, that the, the leadership, certainly of both houses, I suspect, you know, really frowns upon it and tries to take care of it. Now, there is the one bad apple part of it that Senator Charbonneau mentioned. You know, it takes one kind of uh, uh, person in the, in the body uh, to really set things back from a public perception standpoint. You mentioned self-policing mm -hmm. and the, the general notion that members of the General Assembly do largely uh, mind the store. I'm guessing that's uh, something uh, that really bothers you. I've, I mean, I know it does because your testimony over the years and so forth is the notion that there's no one minding the store except the, the folks who were uh, actually conducting business. In well, business. peer review is always going to be a problem when it comes to ethics. And self-policing is, you know, it's known to be a problem when police officers have to sit in judgment of other police officers, when doctors sit in judgment of other doctors, lawyers sitting in judgment. So it's that whole idea of peer review that we find problematic when it comes to ethics enforcement. The motivation is always going to be to protect your peer, and, and we understand that. So we would prefer to see a more independent ethics process. We think our neighbor to the south, Kentucky, has it right. Uh, their legislative ethics commission is uh, composed entirely of citizens. So you don't have legislators sitting in judgment of other legislators when it comes it's to ethical questions. Citizen panel, yeah, a completely citizens panel. Many of them are former legislators, former state uh, level judges. So people who are very involved and familiar with the political realm, but they've got some distance from the legislative process, and so their motivation isn't to circle the wagons; it's to have an open and thorough investigation. So that's one of the ideas that we've attempted to push with House Bill 1002, the ethics reform package that's being um, shepherded through the General Assembly. I, I think that's one of the tougher questions. Um, that legislation is focused almost entirely on disclosure, and transparency is a big, big piece of this. But our concern is if you make conflicts of interest more apparent, if you make the public more aware, there needs to be a better way to resolve than the complaints and concerns that are going to arise when people are more aware of the conflicts. You mentioned our neighbors to the south. The, uh, one of the episodes or investigations right. I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Boptrot, was right. in fact what gave rise to that, that structure in Kentucky after I think 18 
members of the General Assembly Ethics and lobbyists were. scandals tend to prompt reform, and, I, and frankly, that's why House Bill 1002 is, is, is an issue this year is because of the Turner scandal last year. Well, how about this notion of, of self-policing? Um, we'll jump right in, I guess, to, to HB 1002, which is the primary uh, vehicle for a lot of the reforms this session that both Republican and Democratic leadership in the House have, have co-sponsored or co-authored. Uh, but it doesn't uh, change oversight, uh, Senator. Is that uh, is that okay? I think I think it is. And in, in, in first off, I, I think it's important to come back to the fact that the kinds of issues that uh, gave rise to House Bill 1002 are rare. I mean, they they don't happen very frequently. And again, get back to the perception that's out there, and and that's part of what we we have to deal with as a legislature, I think, is what, what is the perception of what's going on. And you really and, think it doesn't matter that they're not happening frequently? Because I guess yes. part of the flip side of the, of the argument, you could say in New York State or in Illinois or Louisiana where you seem to have the weekly arrests, maybe they're just better policing it. Uh, or, but you're saying that it is, in fact, a rarity. Yes, yeah. yes. But at the same time, I think that public disclosure is a very good thing. And, and yeah. that's you know a large part of of what this is all about. And you know what is the what is the appropriate balance between you know disclosing someone's entire financial records uh, in, 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 in what needs to be disclosed to to give the public the comfort that uh, that the, the the body uh, as a whole is. Um, is, is dealing in the best interest of 6.3 million Hoosiers. And this would bring, uh, you mentioned the bill, it would bring down the, uh, the threshold for financial reporting, I think from 10000 maybe five. to $5,000. Yes. For investments. And for yeah. investments, and would also uh, increase the number of people for whom in your family you'd have to report. I think mm -hmm. in some cases when it's a, a rather extended family you'd have mm -hmm. to report. And, and, and also training is right. involved in it, and you know, that's... You know, it, it's it's part. I think part of it also is just reminding everyone of what what we should be doing, how we should be doing. Not not that it's going on. It's just we need to be reminded every every now and then. And, and again, you co-authored uh, Bev Garden mm -hmm. uh, legislation of this type yes. when you were, especially in your, your the latter part of your your tenure. Mm -hmm. You were at resistance uh, sometimes. Uh, is this the answer that you were seeking then? To some degree, it, it is. And any time you have a citizen legislature, you're always going to have the perception of conflicts of interest. Uh, every every legislator over there probably has some something that could be perceived as a conflict of interest. Look at look at teachers. We do so much in education. We have a lot of teachers in the legislature. That could be considered to be a, a conflict of interest. Uh, teachers voting on uh, on legislation that would affect School their livelihood. Formula, yeah, you, but you but we don't we don't terms. ask them to abstain. Uh, there's there's really a fine line you have to to walk, and I think to some degree how a, a legislature legislator approaches this is, is somewhat common sense. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you can't legislate common sense. <laughs> Do, does this get us in front of the uh, out in front of the issue now? I, you know, the suggestion has been that we've been rather reactive, and every state I think mm -hmm. kind of handles 
uh, the response to scandal that way. We're going to solve this problem. You know, there's a lot of fist mm-hmm. pounding at the lectern, and then you deal with one piece of it. Mm-hmm. it, it is this truly more comprehensive, uh, Julia? Well, I think it's pretty limited in scope. Limited. I mean, okay. it, it, House Bill 1002 really raises the bar in terms of disclosure, mm-hmm. but it is almost exclusively disclosure. And again, and we'd like the, to the see we'd like yeah. to see mm-hmm. the enforcement piece um, be changed radically. And I just don't think that's going to happen. Is that the silver happen. bullet? If you could have external uh, policing, I mean, if somebody said, "Here, blank piece of paper." What one, one provision do you want? That's, that would help tremendously because I think, again, if we're going to put more information about potential conflicts out there, mm-hmm. and, and Senator Gard is right, uh, most legislators do have conflicts, but it's how you deal with them mm-hmm. in the legislative process that's important. I'm concerned a little bit about the transparency of uh, for example, um, Senator Charbonneau mentioned that, that legislators come to the Internal Ethics Committee for advice. Uh, we think those documents should be public mm-hmm. when they ask for advice and when they're given advice. Um, that would be illuminating to, to citizens, uh, but it appears that in the reform process it won't be public information. Mm-hmm. So, so there's still ways uh, that we need to increase the transparency, not just about conflicts of interest, but how legislators respond to them, because that's the key piece of this. Well, Mary Clark, you were, as I m- mentioned at the uh, outset, you chaired the Senate yeah. Ethics mm-hmm. Committee, and in fact, uh, we joked uh, before the taping that uh, it maybe wasn't the busiest committee uh, agenda that you had, but it, mostly it was this type of thing right. that's, that you're discussed that we were discussing here. People came to you informally to ask for advice, and, and would it make sense to make that public? Yeah, my fear would be, Julia, that it create a chilling effect on people coming to the committee if you made it public. You know, I'm not familiar with 1002 entirely, and I think there may be there may be something. Uh, there in terms of what you folks are looking for. I I do, however, think that transparency has increased over the time Mm -hmm. that that, uh, we started, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a a good thing because the ultimate oversight committee is the voters in the legislative Mm -hmm. district. And and, uh, as long as they are educated and the general public is educated about potential conflicts and and investments and so forth, that, that to me would be the main... Uh, the main goal of, of reform. Well, does the public, I mean, that's, a, that's a putting a pretty high, uh, or a lot of expectation on the part of voters that they're, A, going to be following it that closely, mm-hmm. B, that they know what the, the reg, rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. I get tripped up sometimes with some of the allegations about the former state well, superintendent, uh, Tony Bennett, using his personnel, uh, ostensibly for political purposes, well, at least allegedly, Cost, I thought that was uh, against uh, statute. In fact, well, but we've the, had other office holders. But the voters spoke, you know, with well, the regard voters, to that. Yeah, they did. And, speak. and mm-hmm. you know, I, I have high regard for the voters in this state. I, and first of all, you know, they say all all politics is local. So the more local you get in a legislative district, people tend to know and talk to people. If they don't know, talk to people who you know who do know. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I have high regard for the voters. You know, I, I remember Mitch Daniels, if you recall, he had high regard for the voters. And, and when he ran for re-election, the first thing he did was sit in front of a camera and say, now, I know not all of you out there agree with everything I've done, but I'm asking you to judge me, my body of work. And the voters did that. And so will, will the voters always, you know, uh, vote uh, way maybe that would be consistent with somebody who has the, the greatest amount of knowledge on ethical issues? Maybe not. 
but in, and they, they don't make as many mistakes maybe as you might think. Yeah, I agree with Murray when, <laughs> when he made the comment about the chilling effect if, if uh, when, when someone went to the, uh, the, the, the ethics committee or for a ruling on, on a, a situation that they might have that I, I, think it, I, I think that is going on because they want to do the right thing. And, and to have that uh, suddenly become uh, an issue that, um, that, um, Do you think could, that, I that think ensures that, but I think that's part of the problem, you know, because it, it's as if ethics is almost a taboo subject around the General Assembly, and so I think that you know people do sort of seek the corners when mm -hmm. they when they want to talk about it, and and I see that as a problem. Again, if we accept that we have a part-time legislature and some conflicts of interest are going to be inevitable, then that's just the way it is, and and I don't think having an open discussion. Um, should be chilling. It, it's just simply allowing the public in on a conversation that, that's pretty central to a legislator's role. So, so I understand, and, and certainly, you know, when we've made this yep. suggestion, the authors have said, you know, <laughs> we, we really don't want to go there. But again, I think that points to just the place that ethics has in the General Assembly. And, and it's just an issue that they haven't wanted to deal with. And their 1002 is around because of the ethics scandals last year, and it became untenable not to deal with it. Is this is this ever a, a or is it like highway construction? It's never never done. It's it's always <laughs> ongoing. Can we ever count on something that's going to be? fairly comprehensive and get the job done and wipe our hands, or is this just, oh, it, we'll be it, back having this discussion many, many times it, in the future? It, it will be ongoing over the years. Something will happen sometime in the future that will bring some issue to light. You you can't anticipate every situation that, that's going to come up in the future. And we humans are pretty smart about coming up with uh, ways to around <laughs> so, different issues. So, and and I, I don't have a problem with it continuing to be discussed as, as years come on. Well, I appreciate uh, the discussion that you all have taken part in uh, today. Uh, it's, a, it's a good discussion, certainly an important issue. Mm -hmm. Public trust is at the foundation of everything that the General Assembly does. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you for enlightening all of us on, on the topic. Again, my guests have been Republican Senator Ed Charbonneau of Valparaiso, former Senator Beverly Gard of Greenfield, Julia Vaughn of Common Cause of Indiana, and former Senator Murray Clark of Indianapolis, now a registered lobbyist. <laughs> It could lower the cost of labor by lowering the wages of laborers. The battle over common wage on the next Indiana Lawmakers. Time now for our weekly discussion with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight and former director of the Council on Governmental Ethics Laws. I hope our viewers and listeners realize you, and this is no silliness, you are one of the national experts on this. So I, I'm, a, I'm an expert on Sunday sales of alcohol, too. Well, maybe alcohol, but well, let's, let's move on with the topic, I guess. You know, most state statutes talk about things you can't do. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. This one, on the other hand, doesn't really say you can't do anything. It just says we're going to uh, let people know about whatever you do. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Well, if you've made the policy decision that you're not going to have certain kinds of prohibitions or punishments for certain kinds of behavior, you have to have adequate disclosure provisions. And there are some good things about disclosure if you disclose enough. I mean, you help deter deceit by publicity, basically. You, you know, if you look at what happened earlier this session, you had a, a couple of legislators with, withdraw bills, with, withdraw 
um, employment opportunities because those things became public. So you, you really help them kind of assess their own actions in their own minds, as well as give the voters a tool for trying to assess the, uh, the propriety of, of what these people are doing as well. You know, we talk about how the ballot box is, is really the, uh, the enforcement mechanism here, but if you don't have adequate disclosure, you're not going to be able to allow the voters to make those kinds of informed decisions good disclosure laws allow them that information. And do you think, you mentioned those two instances earlier with the employment opportunities, once they became public, both individuals backed away. Had it not become public, and there, during the roundtable there was a lot of debate about whether things should be public or not, might have the outcome been different, do you think? Absolutely. I think we saw that in the, the last session of the General Assembly and in, in the, the incident that you alluded to in the, the roundtable, and I think we've, we've seen that plenty of times before. A lot of times there will be some sub-rosa talk about these kinds of things, but a lot of times also they don't get back to an individual's district. And again, you know, the legislature is, is proposing all kinds of, of standards of conduct and punishments for executive branch employees who, who have certain kinds of transgressions, cross certain kinds of lines, but they're not willing to do it for themselves. And they would set up uh, some sort of oversight or advisory group within the General Assembly? Talk about that for a moment. Right. There, there would be under House Bill 1002 an Office of Legislative Ethics, and it, it's kind of undefined. There are a lot of specifics in there, but a lot of questions left unanswered about who they, they would report to and how public their information, their opinions, everything that they would do would be. And there's some questions about whether that would really be an effective mechanism and, and to what extent their, their uh, guidance would be essentially mandatory to follow as opposed to just advisory. And as a result, we don't know how effective it would be. All right, Ed. Good stuff as always. Appreciate your insight. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanas, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week, take care. Purdue startup NeuroVigor, renewing hope for people with chronic diseases like MS and Parkinson's by targeting neurotoxins, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.